Um, good morning and happy Father's Day. Our first uh, reading is from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And our second reading is from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Thanks, Michelle. And good morning, everyone. Hello. Good morning. Good to be with you. Happy Father's Day, fathers. It's a very special day. We celebrate and give thanks to our Father in Heaven, for our fathers. Um, Maddie, really appreciative of your prayers. We can celebrate fathers, but for some of us, of course, it's not the easiest day. My dad's over on the other side of the world. I'll get to talk to him, praise God, tonight. Um, but, you know, it's hard. The amazing thing is that the Lord has provided some extraordinary role models in my life as a Christian man, um, because Jesus promises that we'll never go without a family. And I've been so thankful to my Father in Heaven for providing kind of father figures who've walked with me as I've got to know the Lord Jesus better. And so today is Father's Day and we can celebrate fathers and we can celebrate mothers and we can celebrate families and we begin today a new series in God's providence on what it means to be the fig tree family tree. That is, God wants fig tree to flourish because we are a family and we're a family of families and remaining faithful to his word in our minds and in our hearts and in our journey in life together is what he wants for us. That we grow as a community of his grace committed to making disciples. And that we would have his compassion for members of our community, for our extended families and friends and neighbors. And that we would be led by his spirit in life's adventure together. 
And this is his purpose for us, that as we do life together as a family, we would flourish under his hand. Because he loves us, and he's adopted us as his children. And today, as we begin this new series, uh, my hope is that we will grow in courage, and we will grow in our conviction, and we will grow in our compassion. But in these weeks ahead, we shall also be dealing with some difficult issues. And so, as we consider what it means to be flourishing as a fig tree family, and um, we think about the fig tree family tree, and you'll notice there's some trees around, and I've got a new friend here um, who's going to have a little role to play in one of these talks. Um, Maybe somebody can come up with a name for our tree for the next four weeks. Um, We're going to base what we're looking at together on God's Word to us in the Bible, but there's also a very helpful book that Uh, I've discovered in recent weeks and read cover to cover and really appreciate it. Now, I'm sorry to say this is the only copy left in the house because we had a whole pile of them out there and uh, the eight o'clock has beat us to the punch. So we're going to order some more and we'll have some more for next week. But it's a book by uh, Patricia and Kamal Wirakun and Rob Smith. And what I really appreciate about this book is it does what it says on the cover. It's a biologically based book. It's a biblical book and it's a compassionate book. And so I feel that this will give us a bit of a kind of supplement to what we're looking at together over the next few weeks. It only costs 20 bucks, it's a good investment, and we'll have some more of those for next week. It gives us uh, a biblical perspective, it gives us a biological perspective on how we can flourish. And so in the weeks ahead, uh, today we begin with a talk entitled Righteous Realistic Roots. We're going to begin by thinking about the soil for God's flourishing family at Fig Tree, both biblical and biological soil. And then next week, we're going to consider the lower part of the tree. We can't see the roots in the ground, but we can see the trunk that proceeds from it, and consider what it means to be tempted, twisted trunks. Acknowledge that creation is twisted by sin, and that we as people are both naturally and unnaturally tempted. And then we move on in our third week to consider what it means to be beloved but broken branches. And in this space, we shall look at some of those issues, moving on from natural and unnatural affections to the brokenness that is expressed as dysphoria. And we shall be reminded from God's Word that Jesus as Savior binds up the brokenhearted, And Jesus as Lord offers us restoration, which we shall know fully as what I've called the forever flourishing family in the new creation, when Jesus returns to take us to be with him forever. That's not to say, of course, that he doesn't give us the opportunity to flourish now, but everything that is broken will be healed at the end of time, when we as a family get to spend eternity together. So that's pretty exciting stuff, right? We're thinking about the big idea for the, for the series is basically a flourishing fig tree family, and today we're considering what it means to be righteous, realistic roots together. So we start at the base and we're going to build up into the flourishing tree. Now folks, we're looking at the Word of God, and in doing so, we really need God's help. So I'm going to ask us to um, put out our hands, men holding up holy hands in prayer. Um, and talk to our Father in heaven. So, shall we pray together? Let's pray.
Well, our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together when so many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't find it easy to do that, some of them impossible. Um, don't let us take it for granted, please. And Lord, we're grateful too for the beauty of biology and for the profound treasures in your word in the Bible. How we pray that you would help us to reorientate our thinking, our saying, our praying and our doing in line with your good, pleasing and perfect will. Lord, help us to know what it means to be flourishing as a family at Frig Tree. For the good of your people, for the glory of your name, and because, Lord, you long for everyone to know Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, three points today. Number one, roots. I was asked to roll my R. Roots, it is. A tree has roots, does it not? The deeper or the broader the root system goes, the better the stability and the better the access to nourishment. And what is it that roots are for? To tap into water so that that tree may grow and flourish. Water is, in effect, life for a tree. I know it needs other things, biologists. But um, water, here, a tree needs to be planted by water to flourish. And the picture that God gives us in the psalm that we had read for us is that of the word and the wisdom of God as water to the tree. So God's word and wisdom are to God's family. There's, um, there's a lovely little way to learn Hebrew where we kick off with what is the root. In Hebrew, the word is sheresh. And when you start with, for example, a Hebrew verb, it has a root, you know, a verb is like a, a being or a doing word, and all the other kind of cognates, all the words that relate to that, kind of grow out of the tree. It's a clever, complex, and a lifetime's worth of learning for Hebrew. Um, I'm not professing to get there yet, but I do love some of the amazing patterns that are hidden in there. And it's intriguing, I find, that God has called all things into being and given them all a purpose in their doing, in the very beginning, we read in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the formation of heaven and earth through breath, through word. This, this notion of, of speaking the creation, the very creation into being, is a significant biblical idea. And God, in speaking creation into being, is purposeful. And we, too, have purpose individually and together in God's mind. And we learn our purpose through reading the Word of God. Some of it we can get from biology. Some of it we get from the Bible. The first thing that I want us to consider as we, we look at the roots is the, the benefits of breadth and depth. Um, that first reading that we had from us from the psalm shows us how a person who delights in God's Word and God's wisdom will inevitably flourish. They're like trees planted by streams of living water. That is how we may be fruitful. And I want to remind us the benefits of spending time in the Word of God for breadth and depth. Breadth in terms of frequency. The daily habit of reading the Word of God, whether it's a degustation menu or just a traveling snack. They play out in our lives, don't they? Time with God in His Word, with frequency, gives good growth. And when our roots are broad, it is beneficial for us as a tree together. And when our roots are deep, 
prayerfully and carefully discerning the Word of God, spending time with Him and working to understand what He would have us understand. Breadth and depth are good. And I want to say as well on this Father's Day, but I speak to mothers and I speak to grandfathers and I speak to grandmothers and aunts and uncles and friends, the great benefits of spending time in God's Word across the generations. One thing that's really struck me here at Fig Tree, in which I delight, and indeed Sarah and I were just talking about, is the intergenerational discipleship that we have grandmothers and mothers and daughters, we have grandfathers and fathers and daughters who follow the Lord Jesus Christ because the baton has been passed on. It's a wonderful pattern to have amongst us. And so may I continue to encourage us to sow into the lives of the next generation, both within our biological families and within the family of fig tree. What a wonderful thing it is that we have even now our little ones being discipled by those who are in the high school, as well as those who are helpers who've graduated beyond high school and, and parents. It's a family affair. And so this is, I think, an expression of together being in the Word of God. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in, in season and whose we, uh, leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is an investment for a lifetime. Uh, next, I want to say that, that there are benefits in biology. Now, my first degree was a biological degree, and I think that biology is beautiful. In fact, when I, when I came to meet the Lord Jesus, and, and I for years thought there was this huge chasm between science and religion, I, I began to see how wonderfully God has woven creation together with his fingerprints all over it. There's great stuff in biology. God is creator. He made us in his image. He made creatures. He gave us creation. We can learn a great deal about who we are and how to live in his world by biology. But we don't learn all that we need to know about our relationship with our Creator and indeed how to live well with one another. For that we do need the Bible. In the Bible, we have God's Word to us on who He is. We have God's Word on us, uh, uh, to us on, on how we can relate to Him and one another well. We learn that he's not only creator, but also that he is sustainer and savior and redeemer and Lord. That in his love, he has come amongst us and taken on our very frailty in the person of his son, Jesus Messiah. The roots we honor are God's word and his wisdom so that our words may be spoken after him. And as a faithful and fruitful family tree, we long, don't we, to speak the words of the Lord after him and to see those words come out in our lives, to align with his fingerprints in creation that we can discover through biology with what he's shown us through the Bible in his special revelation about our purpose and our place here. This is where we go. But having said all that, I do want us to be realistic. This is my second point. I want us to be realistic because my sense is that we live in a world in which ideas are no longer either biological 
or biblical. I think our culture sees words often twisted to create a new form of fluidity. Do you see that too? To flourish, we need to grow in our ability to test and challenge contemporary ideas. Otherwise, I feel like we can get easily swept up in a lot of emotion in our current culture. I feel it. Do you feel it too? Hey, do you know that game? Paper, rock, scissors. We've all played it, right? You know how it goes. You've got the rock. Um, Rock beats scissors, but then scissors beats paper, and then paper beats rock. Well, we're going to play a little game of paper, rock, scissors, only we're going to substitute the words for words, feelings, and reality. Should we give it a go? Words, feelings, and reality. Words beat reality. Um, I got an absolute blank look this morning at 8 o'clock, but I'm hoping I won't get that this time. Has anybody read anything by Philip K. Dick? Science fiction writer. Oh, what has been going on in this place? Uh, Can I commend to you? He read over a hundred science fiction books. Have you heard um, Minority Report? Yeah? Seen Minority? Have you seen Blade Runner? Anybody seen Blade Runner? Thank the Lord. Okay, Blade Runner's (laughs) Blade Runner's based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Dick wrote these magnificent books. This This is your homework, guys. Engage with Philip K. Dick. Um, He also was an insightful social commentator. I'm just going to share some of his words. He said this, um, the basic tool for manipulation of reality, remember we're looking at words beat reality. He said the basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who use the words. Another way to control the minds of people is to control their perceptions. If you can get them to see the world as you do, you will think as they, uh, sorry, they will think as you do. Comprehension follows perception. Words are powerful. In fact, so powerful, says Dick, that they can beat reality. That feels contemporary, doesn't it? He said that in 1978. It's nearly 50 years ago. Actually, in um, the same speech, he commented this, and I quote again, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. He's basing this on a Greek philosophical argument, but I'll let you talk about that over morning tea for those who know that space. But basically, this is what he's saying. He's saying reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, it doesn't go away. He goes on to say, today we live in a society in which spurious realities are manufactured by the media and by governments and by corporations and religious groups and political groups and the electronic hardware exists by which to deliver these pseudo worlds right into the heads of the reader and the viewer and the listener. 1978. He's talking about television, wasn't he? And today, of course, we have TVs in our hands. How long before they're in our heads? It's prescient, I think. Words can beat reality. But if words can beat reality, have a think about what's going on in our current age in terms of feelings. Is it possible that in a game of paper, rock, scissors, feelings even beat words? Because today, vast flows of ideas are being brought into our worlds. I mean, the scrolling, the streaming, it's constant. 
And I feel that we are becoming increasingly satisfied with only a very short burst of information. I find it in myself. I find it increasingly hard to read through a comprehensive argument or to read a full book. I feel myself getting desensitized and, and keen just to get the executive summary. Do you feel that too? Even perhaps sometimes just as a short video or a picture. I'm not saying these things are bad things, but I do say that when you get a brief summary of an image or a video or a word without a depth to it, without a context, then that's a high-risk space. It can be hard to understand the words in context, but even more today, the mood, the zeitgeist, is to reject convention and to discover identity by ourselves. We're being increasingly coached in self-determination in line with our feelings. And what I mean to say by this is this. If our feelings are different to the external experience, we're less inclined to adapt to the external experience and align our feelings, but rather increasingly we're saying let's adapt the circumstances to match what we feel inside. Do you see that happening? I'll give you an example. Not to what we feel, but rather to our circumstances, even in our bodies. You know, when it comes to feelings beating words, I wonder what reality even beats these days. And the struggle that many of us experience today is what to do with this tension. What do we do when, when we, or people that we know and love, have feelings that don't seem consistent with the lived reality, particularly when it comes to using the bodies in which we live. It's only 50 years ago that same-sex activity was punishable as an offense. Compare today, when two men can have a civil union officially recognized as a marriage, two women can share the parenting of the child and both be identified as parents on the certification. A day in which a man can have medication and surgery to remove his body parts and officially be declared as a woman because of feelings. I wonder how we are to respond to this new reality, especially when we feel confused. So in these four weeks, as we turn our attention both to biology and the Bible, and we draw on what God has revealed that we might better understand ourselves and one another, and grow in our confidence in God to deepen our resilience in the face of new words and new feelings, ultimately, what we will see is that all reality revolves around one person in history, and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the point where I come to our third and final word, righteous. You know, my, um, my mother-in-law, when she was with us, used to say, good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is your best. And I think that's a pretty good philosophy for life. The interesting thing about good things is that they can be fit for purpose, but they may be wrong. The difference with a right thing is it is both fit for purpose and it is right in place, which means it is 
best fit for purpose, and it cannot be wrong. And sometimes it matters about getting it right. Like, let me ask you, if you buy a pair of shoes and it's the wrong size, does it matter if you get that right? I mean, it can get pretty uncomfortable when you've got undersized shoes. I used to have this pair of boots that looked so cool. I used to wear them even though they were a size too small. I could not wear those for long. Uh, what about for a tire? Like, to my mind, and I'm sorry, guys, some of you are really going to not like this, but a tire's a tire, man. So why do you have to get the right tire for the right machine when the tire costs twice as much? Do you really need to get the right tire? What about a spouse? Do you need to make a careful decision for the right spouse? I'm going to let that one go to morning tea as well because there may be some variety of opinion on this. But let me say, when it comes to God and being right with God, we've got to get that right. What does it mean to be righteous in God's sight? There's a whole smorgasbord of beliefs and ideas and religions around some people will say to you, it doesn't matter which one you, you go for, just be strongly convicted about it. But as Andy was reminding us last week, Andy Bannister, every other belief system, every other religion has a distinctive about it that's consistent, and it's this, every one of them is about our performance. It's about what we do in our minds to make ourselves right with God. It's about what we do in our feelings and our hearts to make ourselves right with God. Whereas the Christian distinctive is this, it's not about what we say, pray, think, or do. It's about what God has done. The distinctive of the Christian faith is grace. God's word and wisdom is clear. He gave the law, the rules for the very best life to his precious people, the Jews in history. And then one man came and he perfectly fulfilled all of that. Jesus says, he says it in, in Matthew chapter 5, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he could only do that because he was both God and man. And this was always the plan that Jesus would come and fulfill the law in person. And so being right with God is possible. Did you know that? Being right with God is possible through faith in Jesus, his son, who made it so. Did you know that your sins can be forgiven? They can. Not because of who you are, not because of what you do, but because of who he is and because of what he has done for you. He has done it, and his name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. You see, the backstory is that back in a garden in Eden, the first people made in God's image, tempted to rebel against God, did. And then all human beings attempted. All of us attempted to do things against God, contrary to his wisdom, contrary to his word, things that are not the best for us. And when presented with the opportunity to do right, we all do it wrong. That's kind of comforting, right? Because we're all in the same boat. And, and the first people were given access to the tree of life and the promise of God's presence forever. They were simply told not to eat from one other tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they did not do what was right. And they ate and they disobeyed God and they did the wrong thing. And the consequence was that they were cut off from the tree of life because death came in. And then we hear about the garden in Gethsemane. 
And we hear about God in the person of his son, Jesus, who experiences the weakness of human temptation, even the temptation not to fulfill his purpose. 100% human, but also 100% God. He resisted and he did not sin, not ever. And he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And if we trust in God's gracious gift of his son, Jesus, and confess him as Lord, God says, you're right by me. You're righteous in him. And we can approach the throne of grace boldly. You see, Jesus, God's son, came into the world to save sinners, to save his enemies. And in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was tempted, he persevered. And he came from God to take our punishment upon himself for our sins. And he was obedient even to death on a cross. And he took God's anger against our sins upon himself, and he dealt with it. And he died on a cross for your sins. And he died on a cross for my sins. He laid down his life in love. That was love, that he sacrificed himself for us. He had the authority to take up his life again. He's risen to life and life eternal, and he promises to take us to be with him forever when we die. And he says, you will flourish then, but you may flourish now. And our fig tree family benefit from God's word and wisdom both now and forever. He says, yeah, there's future flourishing in a new creation. There'll be a new garden. As we saw in Revelation, all the wrongs will be righted, and there in the middle of the tree of life is planted, and it will flourish in the healing that it gives to us, and it is by faith in Jesus and through the power of his Spirit at work in us that this all may come to pass. And so that's where we begin in this series, considering what it means to flourish as fig tree. We must first know and understand and trust God's word and his wisdom. And know that his wisdom and his word is for everyone. That his son Jesus is for everyone. That he will accept you if you reach out from that space of despair that he will receive you if you come down from your high and mighty hubris and pride and are humbled and willing to accept the sacrifice he made for you. And he will take you wherever you are now, exactly as you are now. He wants you. He wants broken people. He wants sinful people. He wants people who've tried to follow all the rules and have been driven by perfection but have never, ever attained it. He wants the people who try and break all the rules and do what they want any time just as they please but have never been satisfied. And he wants the people who who don't even know the rules. They don't even know the game. Don't even care about the rules and are just getting on with life but are feeling so empty. He wants you. He wants you. Have you sinned in natural ways? Have you been talking to others about somebody over here and sharing in that gossip? Have you been talking to somebody and saying things untrue about them and sharing in slander? Have you been telling lies? Have you been taking things and ideas that don't belong to you and were never given to you by God, but happily calling them your own? We have an epidemic, in fact it's an endemic of pornography problems in our society I mean, it's so accessible these days. And the statistics tell me that 
a great many of us in this room are engaging with, with our eyes and our minds and our hearts, things that God has said are just immoral in the realm of pornography, in the realm of sexual immorality, the heart and the body being given over in adultery rather than the precious union that is given exclusively for a husband and wife, for those who perhaps are in promiscuity, who are giving their body over to a great many people, or perhaps acting in the unnatural ways, men with men and women with women, and doing things to our bodies or our loved ones doing things to their bodies that just are harmful. And have you ever had feelings or do you know someone precious to you who has feelings that simply do not line up with biology, simply do not line up with the Bible and the Word of God, and want to change what God has given you or them because of feelings, or maybe a friend, or maybe you have, or maybe you will, and the deep sense of shame that comes with that. Jesus, in Matthew eleven twenty nine says, come to me. I want you. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Come to me, says Jesus. Know this, whomever you are, whatever you have done, wherever you have been, Jesus loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus forgives you. In fact, he already has forgiven you. And he wants you. And he will save you. And he will strengthen you. And he will help you. And he will send his spirit into you. And he will heal you. He will enable you to flourish in his family. Because that is the extent of his love. Is that true? It is true. Forgiveness and freedom come to those who are in his family. You know, um, in the 1960s, a group of hippies just rocked up and came in through the door at a church over in the United States. They came to the morning church service and the comfortable church congregation who were there uh, were invaded by unclean, unfamiliar, uh, not shoe-wearing folk. Some of the members looked awkward, some shuffled in their seats, some left, but others sat down amongst them and embraced them and said, welcome. Such is the history of a movement that the Lord undertook over in the late 60s in America. You may have seen it uh, portrayed in the Jesus Revolution movie, which has come out recently. And a pastor in that church shares from God's Word in the Bible and then goes on to say, his name was Chuck Smith, if you feel like an outcast, join us here. If you feel you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. And here is where it begins, in the family of God's people. To be a flourishing family at Fig Tree, 
means for us to have open arms as the Lord Jesus did to say, come to me, join us, be a part of us. This is where it begins for you and this is where it begins for your beloved one, that Jesus will comfort you and be gentle with you and he promises that he will never, ever leave or forsake those who belong to him. He will take you just as you are and then he will begin to change you. The spirit whom he will give to you will give you a new life and a new hope for the future and he promises to be forever with us but he does say, I'm not going to leave you where you are because he is good and because he is kind and because he listens. He will not affirm a great many things but he will forgive and this is the challenge in our day and, age, our day and age, brothers and sisters. We've been called to affirm things that are not pleasing to God, whereas we have the opportunity as God's people to show his forgiveness for things that he wants to make right amongst us. He is faithful and he is true and he will never leave or forsake you. And I'm going to lead us in prayer that he would enable us by his spirit to open our arms as we consider what it means to be a flourishing family. Let's pray together. Father God, this is both uh, our starting point, but it's also our end point too for all eternity, that, that Jesus has loved us and that by your grace, Father God, you've adopted us as your children and brought us into your family and that for better, for worse, we are the fig tree family that you've pulled together. We pray that you would help us, please, to flourish for our good and for your glory. And we pray, Father, that you would give us hearts that are compassionate and courageous and full of conviction that comes from you, that we might be able to reach out to others who so desperately need to know that they are loved, that they are valued, and that they are not alone. Father, would you transform our hearts that they might be more like yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, guys.